1: Rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps.
0: All right, we have a special guest with us. Her name's Alana Brown. She is the director and writer of the film Trees of Peace. Um, Welcome to Bitch Talk, Alana.
2: Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. Um, And the first thing we like our directors to do is to introduce the film to our listeners, if you can.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Trees of Peace is a film about four women from very different backgrounds and beliefs who find themselves hiding during the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda. And despite their differences over the course of their hiding, they come to form an, un- an unbreakable sisterhood.
0: And I, I read in an interview that, um, cause it's a very specific project and I was very interested to know like how did how did you get involved? But I' read that um, the, the project was conceived around eight years ago, maybe a little more now. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: when you were interviewing someone talking about an initiative to help rebuild women survivors in Rwanda, and their stories inspired you. So can you talk a little bit about that and and let's do a deep dive into that story.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I was interviewing this woman who founded a company or an organization called Same Sky. And what they do is they, in Rwanda, these the women make this beautiful beaded jewelry and they sell it. And 100% of the profits go to them to be able to rebuild their lives because so many of the men in the community who were providers previously have died. And a lot of the women are also HIV afflicted now. and And so this helps rehabilitate them and get them back on their feet and be able to afford you know, everything housing, food, school, whatever they need. And so I was preparing to interview her, this founder, her name's Francine Lafrac. And uh I just started coming across stories of of the genocide and people, women in particular, because I was because it's it's an organization for women and and stories of women hiding in just the most extraordinary circumstances you could imagine. And And then in the same bout of research, I started to discover that or I discovered that Rwanda has the highest percentage of women appointed to government of any country in the world. And I was blown away by that. And I had never heard that before and never along this journey have I introduced that to anyone who knew it already. So it seems to be this really incredible but little known fact that this, this country went through such a tragedy and so many of the men in the entire, the entire community in the entire country were killed and the women had the fortitude and, and wherewithal and just strength and, and courage and strength and vision to be able to not only get up the next day like mm-hmm. with bodies literally in the street and their entire you know half their family dead or some were the only family member left but to you know to not only get up the next day and go back to work and do the things that you need to do to live a daily life but to then rehabilitate their country and become political leaders and spearhead so many of the the country's healing initiatives to me was like i became obsessed mm. and i was just like you know we have films about the genocide hotel rwanda of course is like a, probably a top one that comes to mind and there are others as well other great films and and documentaries and uh, that I feel like kind of tell more of a macro you know story of the genocide and you get kind of a, a wider perspective of what happened. but but a female centered story, I feel like hasn't been done because it would be contained inherently like it would because the women weren't hiding if you if you were a Tutsi or a Hutu th- sympathizer, you were hiding. So your setting would be a contained setting and that hadn't been done. So I was like, I want to tell the story of the women who
1: lived this. Mm. So that was, yeah, that was where it started. So beautiful. Yeah. Uh, And, and you, you take us on this really painful, scary ride with these, with these women. Um, But it, but it is a beautiful story because of the example of how we can progress after such a tragedy. And I feel like, often when I was watching the movie, a lot of the messages, I feel like you're talking to us right now. Mm -hmm. Like these are all things that we are still even in our country doing, you know, we were not living through what they did, of course, but um, the divisiveness that that's happening is very, it it hits close to home. Um, So I I just wonder what you think it's going to take for us in our country as divided as it is to be able to evolve in the way that they have in Rwanda, or do you Think it's possible at all? <laughs> yeah, that's a really, really great point, and a great question, and also
2: a huge reason for the impetus uh, for me to write the script and to make the film was I saw, I saw parallels. I saw, you know, Rwanda as a mirror to the United States, and I, saw, I, you know, I felt very much like the story is this universal story, especially for America right now, which at that time was eight years ago, and I feel like it's only gotten worse so to speak like it's only become a film like this is has only become more prevalent and relevant to what we're living today in the United States so and, and so part of the reason for making this film was to say look at how far this divisiveness can go in a country mean, you, you think you know and not that long ago 1994 and you think oh, it's so distant, it's so far away, that could never happen here. But then you look at 2020 and you, I mean, you look at, you know, our, you know, Trump and what happened with his whole presidency to this country and how how that brainwashing can really take root and really like, we are not as far along as we thought we, we were, you know? And, and there's so much healing that needs to be done. And I think Rwanda, what is so beautiful about you know the, the decades since the genocide is like what's mentioned in, in the postscripts of the film, the gachaka courts, the healing initiatives, the fact that um, that they they talk about it every year. I went there uh, I went there in twenty nineteen and it was the twenty fifth twenty fifth anniversary the twenty fifth commemoration week of the genocide, which they do every year. And they light torches in every major city and the torches burn for a hundred days. They burn for the length of the genocide. Mm -hmm. And they have all these memorial sites with all the names of of the bodies of the victims who who are known of the known victims because some people still haven't been found. And it's just a really, it's really important to them to remember and to recognize what happened and to make change. There's no longer Hutu and Tutsi. There are no ethnicities anymore. There are no, uh, there are no identity cards. It's all, everyone is just Rwandan. And so they're taking, you know, active steps to rectify what, to try to rectify what happened and, and, and try to make sure that it never happens again. And I don't think we've done that here. Not nearly enough. And I think there's a lot of optics in this country with pretending like we've made change, but it's so apparent that we haven't. Um, I mean, I, I go on and on about, <laughs> I think it's insane that reparations have never been paid to black people for, for slavery. It's literally like they just got away with it. There mm-hmm. was never a consequence. And I think starting there would be a good place, you know? And mm-hmm. so do I think that we'll get there? I do. I have hope that we will. I think it's I think we're awakened to the fact that it's it hasn't really been happening. We thought it was, but it hasn't really been happening. And now we know that we need to work harder and we need to to fight harder to to make change happen. And I think now that we're aware. Uh, I, I think and I hope that future generations, I mean our, our country is becoming more and more liberal leaning and now we're in a place of minority rule where we have a lot of you know, conservative rule around the country that doesn't reflect the population. So hopefully that will, that will change and we'll get leadership that reflects uh, the sentiments and the beliefs and values of the people living here and that that will be when the shift happens. So I have hope. <laughs> hmm.
0: I'm like, we could talk about that for like good 30 minutes at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, you know, come back and we'll, we'll have a drink and talk about that. Yeah. Uh, seriously. <laughs> um, but I, I, I do want you to talk to the audience and to us around the funding for this film. I know you did a Kickstarter. I know you're also looking for private funding. Um, there's a lot of work behind the scenes to get this film made. And can you talk about that journey for you and, um, how it is to be a woman right now in this moment to, to make a film like this and also to have it come out.
2: Yeah. Oh man, financing <laughs> is a long journey. Yeah, <laughs> it's exhausting to look back on, um, especially for a woman director and especially for women of color director. Um, it, yeah, it, it was a lot of. In the beginning years, you know, it, so it's been like eight year journey at this point. Yeah, it's eight to 10 years if you count when I started writing the script or nine years when I started writing the script. So trying to get financing was was a lot of meetings that led nowhere in the beginning. Uh, The script got me an agent in the beginning pretty early on, which was like cool. And I thought, oh, this is my breakthrough. I got a, I got a, you know, a top agent, you know and that was not where the work stopped by any means. Uh, and, but you know, the agent was able to get me lots of meetings and I got lots of amazing feedback on the script, which, re- which, you know, encouraged me and reaffirmed that it was a really powerful story. It's just one of those films. It's not a Hollywood film. The studio system is not going to make a film like this especially not with a female black director. So I did, all, I did all the things that I, you know, tried to jump through the hoops. I, I you know, had a really strong lookbook book to, to present in meetings and pitch and that didn't get anywhere. And then I made a, a really strong proof of concept trailer that people thought was really great but it didn't move the needle. And then I was like, all right, I'm not waiting for permission anymore. I'm going to do a crowdfunding campaign. So I did a ton of research and on how to crowdfund and, you know, cause that in itself was like just a whole ordeal, it's insane. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: Anyone yeah. crowdfunding? It's, it's a job. It's a job. Yeah. We know. We know.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I did it myself and I would never do it again. I would advise anyone to have a crowdfunding partner because <laughs> it was, it was insane and it was, uh, the anxiety was really horrible, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So I was very fortunate, you know, it was a successful campaign. So I raised 65 grand and, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go out and make this on a micro budget. I'm ready. I've got you know my tiny amount of money, but it's it's you know Ava DuVernay made her first film for 50k, I can do it, you know. So yep. and I had written the script contained. I'd written it in a single location because I'd always anticipated having to shoot it on a micro budget. So that year, that was 2017. I raised the money in January, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna go do this. I'm gonna love trying a producer and like. Just said about getting getting into pre production. I found a producer named Vicky Patella. She came on board, but then quickly, it was weird. Uh, I, I feel like when you when you kind of put your pre- present your like this is what I'm gonna do to the universe. Sometimes the universe rises up and meets you and goes, okay, we're gonna do something different or help you along or whatever. It was strange how pr- other producers started kind of coming out of the woodwork at that point. Um, so just meeting producers like a friend of a friend you know wants to read the script they got wind of it and and like and then they read the script and they loved it and they want to meet with me and I had some meetings with some pretty like significant producers that I was really excited about like this person could be the one that moves the needle and had uh, a couple different shopping agreements and unfortunately these producers were not able to move the needle so that was a couple years of like waiting and hoping to bring more financing, because I I always thought, of course, that the, s- the script and the story deserves as much as much you know financing and invisibility and, and, and power behind it as possible. So I waited and waited and and nothing came of those those attachments. So in 2019, I decided I'm I'm just going to do this now. Like I've put it on hold for long enough. I'm going to do this. I I planned my trip to Rwanda. Vicky and I planned my trip to Rwanda. And I also had started, it was funny because Vicky was like, well, okay, if we want to get into festivals and we want visibility for this film, you need a social media presence. (laughs) And I was never a big social media person. And so I started, I was like, okay, here's the next job.
1: So <laughs> <I> said, <laughs> yeah. Here, all that it's... extra shit is worse than making the film itself, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like, you're, you're preaching. You're
0: preaching to the choir to Ange can, about can just social media, cam-
1: sorry. Yeah, can I just grab the camera and just do my <laughs> yeah. thing? Yeah, it's exactly. But There's all this
2: other stuff you have to do. It's crazy. So they're like, you have to have a social media presence because festivals will wanna see that you can put butts in seats because they have a bottom line too. So you need to have an audience. Was like oh my god, <laughs> okay. So here I go. I'm gonna try to get, become a social. Get a social media following. So I did that whole thing and was like posting every day and doing the whole thing. And for like six months, I did it and I grew a following, a small following. In that process, this guy, his name's Ron Ray, found me on Instagram, and oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> saw like a trailer for a short film I had done and thought it was really a really great trailer and asked to watch the feature. And so we were like messaging back and forth. And I'm also someone who like replies to everyone who DMs me because I just, I think it sucks when you reach out to someone and then they just don't respond. Yeah. So I I always try to, I always try to reach back out to people. And so, um, so I was like, yeah, sure. Just interested in any conversation, especially with filmmakers. And so he's a producer and a director and, uh he the conversation ended up, he I sent him trees a piece of script and the proof of concept trailer because the conversation just evolved. It was like, what are you doing? What are you working on? What's next? And he loved the script mm-hmm. and the trailer. And he was like, I want to help you make this movie. And and I was like, okay, like guy from Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <Okay>. Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and and he was it. He was legit. He was the real deal. He um, he had partners who could bring in private equity financing, mm-hmm. and you know we sat down to dinner, and he kind of pitched me to them and the script and the the concept trailer, and and they liked me, and and then they were in, and so they invested in the film, and uh, and then it was like within four months we were in pre-production like summer of 2019 we were in pre-production and we were I was looking for my HODs and my heads of department and we were starting to cast and I was still like is this real I don't know (laughs) if I trust this I you're on set on day one maybe then I'll believe that this is actually happening I just the journey is so treacherous and it's such a roller coaster of of wins and losses mm. that at that point I was like, all right, this is going to fall through at some point. Cause that also happens all the time. Films get financing, studio films get financed and, and then it falls through for the various reasons, but it was, the, it, it happened and we shot in October, November of 2019. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was definitely like a, you know, they say success happens when preparation meets opportunity mm. or they say luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And so it was a combination definitely of luck, you know, um, and and being prepared, you know, being prepared. And, and then Ron came along and it, it worked, it all worked out.
1: Well, okay. I just, I, I wanted to get into the four main characters really mm. quickly, these four yeah. wonderful women just, um, there there's this genocide happening outside of their four walls, but even within their small space, they're dealing with a lot, a lot of personal struggles, a lot of judging each other, preconceived notions. So um, you're, you're dealing with so many things, even aside from the genocide that's happening uh, outside of their world. And there was one line that really hit me. One of the characters says you only listen to judge and not hear. And I was just like, Damn you, Alana, are you talking to me? I mean, I think, <laughs> I think we all do that. I think we yeah. all do that. It's such a powerful line. And it really has has changed the way that I, you know, since I watched the film, changed kind of my outlook on, okay, am I, you know, am I really here for this person that I'm talking to or am I here to to get ammunition against them? Or or you know, so um yeah, can you just talk about your process of developing these characters both on paper and behind the lens? Yeah. Well, thank you for
2: saying that. I mean, that's amazing. That feedback is incredible. And that's like you having that takeaway, that's the, that's the reason for making the film to have that impact and to hope that people, that it does change their minds or change you know something, that it makes some sort of progress in the conversation. But um, yeah, the crafting of the characters was okay. So I wanted to tell a story obviously that internally mirrored the genocide. So, you know, there's, you can say there's the war without, there's a larger war happening, there's the genocide happening, and then there's the war within, which is universal. That's, you know, with all of us, there's a war raging inside every person. And so basically tapping into that was what I wanted to do with each character. Each character had to have their own conflict that they were dealing with, and then there'd be the conflict between the four characters, and then the outer conflict of the genocide. So... And choose, you know, and then and then there's, you know, when you come up with an with a story, with a a script or, you know, a a movie, there's a there's a theme, there's an arc to the entire movie, there's a purpose to the entire movie that you want the audience to take away. So if you say it's, you know, you start at, you know, you start at division and you end up at unity. So each of those characters has to have their own individual story of division and unity within themselves. So they're each internally struggling with some sort of disconnect within their own lives and their own discord within themselves and finding that healing within themselves. And what happens among the women is that it is the most unlikely of people, you know, they're stuck in the situation. It's a Hutu and a Tutsi. It's a it's a Tutsi and, and then this white American chick mm-hmm. who end up healing each other. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, it's, it's the most unexpected thing. Like, you know, I'm not going to look to this person who I would otherwise hate in any other predicament, any other circumstance on the street, who's actually so much like me, they have their war. I have my war and we're going to heal each other. So it was that crossing, you know, that intersection of, of pain and trauma and healing and, and then crafting them uh, on camera or, you know, um, on set directing them was um, just really, you know, my process, like I do, you know, in in my script analysis, I, I go scene by scene, character by character, dialogue by dialogue, find the subtext of everything that's said, find each character's arc from scene to scene, each character's arc over the course of the story, and and just make sure that it's working from scene to scene and of course the actresses who are tremendous tremendous talents they each brought their own goodies to the story and and oh my god invested so much in their characters like really full on dove in and i mean it was part of the part of the thing i mean there's a physicality to it like they all lost fi- probably 10 to 15 pounds over the course there was makeup involved in you know making them look gaunt and thinner by the end of the film and they also lost weight. It was shot chronologically luckily because it was all in one location. So we were able to shoot the scenes in order of the story. So it was like, you know, coming back day after day we shot for 20 days. So shooting 20 days in a row and they're in this box the four of them together getting stinkier and stinkier you know, <laughs> actually not able to eat as much, you know, they're actually not starving of course cause we had them on a safe diet, but, but feeling some, you know, semblance of the real thing I think really helped them tap into the life of these characters. And, and yeah, I, I think, you know, I also got really lucky with the casting because they each had something in their audition that was like just magical. Like I was like, they have this quality, the kind of intangible quality, and they really bring that character to life. And then in the first day of rehearsal, it was like the first scene, it was just like it, chemistry, synergy was just instant. It wasn't, I was so lucky because, you know, sometimes you, as a director, you watch a scene or there's a run-through of a scene and it's like, Ooh, that is not working. Okay. (laughs) We need to workshop this and figure out how to fix it. And it just like was never a problem with them.
0: Yeah. The acting's incredible. Um, I, uh, yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's, I was just
0: sitting there with so many emotions, um, and feeling, and feeling those 81 days with them. I mean, it's, it's really incredible, Alana. Um,
2: Thank
0: you. I, I, I will change uh, gears a little bit just because we're, we are over time, but um, there's a name in the film that I saw, a special thanks to, and it's kind of the reason why you're on our show. Thank you. Um, but Rafael Cazal is a friend of the mm-hmm. show. Um, we had he him and David on the show in 2018 to talk about blind spotting. They've been very, very um, generous with us. We've hosted an event with them. They came on during the pandemic, like a year ago now, um, and just shared space with us. And um, I'm so excited that, you know, he's a part of your film, and that you're a part of Blind Spotting, the series coming out this summer on, on Stars. Can you talk about that relationship and also that show and that film? I we love that movie. I think we talk about it a lot. So just, and we're so happy to see women behind the camera. So. Please. Yeah,
2: absolutely (laughs) agree with all of the above. Those are two amazing, amazing guys. So generous, such incredibly talented artists. And also just like, it's rare to meet people in this business who are really like looking out for you and really have your back and like are really championing you and just want to bring up other artists and lift other people up and lift up marginalized voices. And they are those people. And they're like, oh my God, amazing. Uh, and I'm so thankful to them and especially Rafa, Rafael. He uh, really has like taken me under his wing. He is, uh, I, I met him at like a mutual, at a, actually a family event, a family party. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to go into the details of the family tree, but like, <laughs> I met him through a cousin and he was really sweet he he just you know she was like she's a alana's a filmmaker like Mm -hmm. you need to talk to her and i was like i don't want to bug you at a party like person like it's fine it's fine and he was like (laughs) no no like tell me about your film what's going on and he was just super super kind and warm and um and like i told him about trees of peace and he was and i was like you know we're in we just finished we just finished filming and i was like we're in post-production and he was like hey you know if you want me to come to a screening an edit screening and give feedback like I'd be happy to and I was like uh yes <laughs> because blind spotting is amazing Yep. and you know when you're trying to make a good film you want feedback from people who know what they're doing and know story so I was like yes like please and he came he came to one of our screenings and he gave feedback and he also loved the film he was like oh my god like mm-hmm. he was just he was he was so 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 supportive he still is still a huge champion of the film. And uh, basically he was like, I want you to send me more writing samples. And I was like, yeah, sure. Like having no idea that Blindspotting was about to become a show. Mm. I just thought he just like, I don't know. I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I sent him a, a couple other things, you know, scripts, specs that I had written. And then, and he didn't tell me anything. And then one day I get a call from him and he's like, so I sent your stuff to Lionsgate and they love your writing, and blind spotting is becoming a show. Do you want to write for the show? <laughs> wow, a lot of this is
1: this is opportunity meets preparation, just like yes. you said. Again, that's yeah. incredible. Okay, yeah, on. wow, yeah.
2: I was like, oh my god, I was freaking out, and uh, it was my first, uh, my first real writing job. He gave, you know, he gave me my first real writing job. Trees of Peace was like, you know, me doing it myself. Mm-hmm. This was like, oh, I'm going to get like a paycheck. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm getting, getting paid. paid. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. Because I had, I had a day job up until, you know, once I started shooting Trees of Peace, like that was when I quit my day job. And I've never had to go back to a day job since yeah. Trees of Peace. Yes. Yeah. Like yes. I'm a working, I'm a working <laughs> screenwriter now. Yeah. Yes. And he opened that door for me. So he, um. So he brought me into the writer's room and, and we've worked together now on, uh, on that project and another project he brought me on to. And, and then, you know, when that happens, then you're not an untested little baby writer. So then that then opened the door for me to get other jobs. So now I'm pitching on, you know, I just landed my first studio, uh, my first studio script so i'm working with new line cinema yes. on a yeah on a book adaptation and it's pretty awesome <laughs>
1: So, well, Alana, yeah. we we covered South by Southwest, and we saw a little. Uh, David and Rafa were there uh, as well, along with their, I believe, cinematographer and director, and they showed a little blurb of the show. And we've just been, we're so excited to watch the series. And now, after watching Trees of Peace, we're so excited to see what you're going to bring to Blind Spotting. It's just, we're I I don't know that I've ever been this excited about uh, before <laughs> a show premieres, right, Erin? Like, we just Yeah. Especially after, yeah, seeing your work and yeah, meeting you, just really exciting. Thank
2: you.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about this show too. I haven't seen any full,
2: full uh, cuts of the episodes, but obviously was in the room and have, I'm familiar with the scripts. And uh, I'm I'm episode 105. And Good to know. yeah, yeah. And uh, it was so, it was so fun. It was so fun to to write in like the comedy dramedy space because that was new for me and. Uh, Rafa was just a great showrunner. Like it was a, such a fantastic fun room to be in, very like creative and free-flowing um, and and welcoming and warm to like us baby writers to pitch our ideas and not feel stupid or you know, and just feel like it was just a really, really creative space. It was really fun to be a part of the part of the first season of the show. And and the dailies, I will say the dailies look amazing.
0: Oh so, good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like those guys and, and a lot of other young younger um creatives in Hollywood, there's this new wave and it feels great. And I we're all here for it. So it's so exciting. Um, Alana, it's so nice to have you on Bitch Talk and talk about Trees of Peace and come back to the show anytime. Seriously.
2: I would love to. Thank you so much. I'll be back with my next project. Hopefully it won't be too long.
0: Okay, great. <laughs> we'll we'll bring you back on.
2: Yeah. Congratulations. Great. Really. Thank you so much. It was so good to meet you and talk to you guys.
1: If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com.
1: This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim.
0: My co host is Angela Tabora, aka Captain Party.
1: The show's edited by
0: producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions.